And from there, actually, what's most effective over time is to make the conversation not just about your kids, because that is a great starting point. But very often, the friendships that develop into something deeper and more meaningful, it's not only about other people, it really should be about ourselves. And so if we can then gradually move the conversation from talking about our kids to talking about us, or something that we just find interesting and something that we enjoy and are passionate about, that can be really helpful. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We are really excited for this episode today because it's a question that Amy and I get almost every single week from this community, and that's on the topic of adult friendship. So making new friends, feeling confident and fulfilled in your friendships, keeping friendships alive as a mother and as a busy adult, like we get it. It can be a challenge. Amy and I have had our own challenges and we bring them up throughout this episode. But today we have Dr. Miriam Kermeyer on and she's a clinical psychologist and a friendship expert. She has spent a decade, you guys, researching the science of friendship and social connection. And what we love about this interview and her work is that she really focuses on helping people to cultivate resilience. And by cultivating this resilience, it can help you as a listener build healthier relationships and live a more connected life. Because after all, isn't that what we want? To feel more connection? We also love that Miriam is a mom of two little boys, so she gets it. She understands the throes of motherhood and how it can definitely add a challenge to finding and keeping friendships alive as a mother and as an adult. She brings in her own personal experience in this episode, which we love, and she really helps our audience with navigating adult friendship while while also being a mother and wearing all the other hats that you wear in your life. So without further ado, let's kick off this inspiring interview on adult friendship. One thing that we really wanted to get into today was the idea of how do we prepare friendships for kids? So a lot of people have had this experience where they have a great group of friends and then they have kids. Is there anything that we can do to make sure that our friendships withstand that lack of time and energy that new parents typically experience? Yeah, I think this is a really important question. And what it's actually making me think of, we, we've we done a very good job to date of initiating conversations about all the different areas of our lives that change when we have children or when we're preparing to become parents, right? And I think that's to our great benefit, right? There's increasing recognition that our partnerships, our romantic relationships, those can change. Certainly there's a lot of talk about how we can prepare uh, for the need for sleep and how very real that sleep deprivation is, right? And how we can set up our home and baby-proof it, so to speak. And I, I really see that our friendships are so impacted by the experience of becoming parents. And yet that is one area of our lives that we aren't talking as openly about. And so from where I'm sitting, I actually think the first step is that acknowledgement piece of whether it's 
speaking to our friends or just acknowledging it to ourselves, the reality that our friendships will be impacted by the experience of becoming a parent. And I think preparing ourselves beforehand and uh, coming to that place of both awareness and acceptance is so important because then when all of those inevitable uh, challenges or feelings do show up, the feelings of loneliness, of disconnection, of sometimes sadness or that longing, feelings of resentment even, we can process those. We can normalize those. We can approach ourselves with more compassion and our friends as well. So the first step really is that just acknowledgement piece of my friendships probably will be impacted by the experience of becoming a parent. And that's normal. That's okay. doesn't mean it's not challenging, but that is part of the experience. So that acceptance and normalizing piece is so important. And then, as I said, having conversations with our friends, setting the stage for later conversations is really important. And what that can look like is a few things. One, uh, just opening up a dialogue about how how do you think our friendship might change? What are we going to do if we have less time to connect? How are we going to manage that together? Uh, reiterating our interest in staying connected and staying friends, letting our friends know that we are really motivated to remain in each other's lives, even if that's difficult. And why that's so important is because Yes, in the moment, it helps us to brainstorm and potentially come up with strategies that will make it a little bit easier. But then to revisit those questions and concerns later on doesn't feel as big and as scary and as loaded. If we can say, hey, remember when we had that chat? That was really helpful. Can we revisit things? Because things do evolve and we do sometimes have less time than others, or we are sometimes in a place where we have more energy and, and are just better able to connect. And so, yeah, opening up a dialogue really is so important. And the earlier we can do that, the more friendships are likely to benefit from that type of transparency. I didn't prioritize my friendships, which we're going to get into later in the episode. But one thing I'm thinking I was talking to my dad about is what gets really hard is, you know, on one part of it, if you're not prioritizing your friendship and then your friend stops inviting you to things, your feelings are hurt. And you're like, wait, why don't you invite me to things? And my dad was like, well, if you say no, every time someone invites you, they're going to stop inviting you. So it's like having those fluid conversations of like being able to talk through what that's going to look like. Do you have any tips for our audience? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up as an example, actually, because that is one key situation that comes up time and time again. And my advice there is twofold. Firstly, you're very right that if our friends are uh, repeatedly reaching out and working to include us and we are saying no, and often saying no for very good and understandable reasons, what will happen is over time, our friends will interpret that as a sign that we are either not interested or just not able to make it. And very oftentimes a natural response to that is to pull back and withdraw those invites. Uh, sometimes because they just are expecting, you know, this answer that has been given time and time again. And sometimes because there's even this interpretation of, well, I don't want to put them in a position where they have to say no and where they have to feel badly for saying no. So let me just stop inviting them. And my advice here, again, there's so much nuance, but my advice is often to be honest with your friends. Look, I might still have to say no when you invite me, but I still want to be uh, given that invitation if you're open to that, because it still helps me to feel included in some small way, because it's hard to see, for example, photos pop up on social media later of an event that I didn't even know about and wasn't invited to. And so if you're able to extend that courtesy, that actually goes a long way toward helping me to feel included. And that kind of vulnerability is really difficult to to strike because we're not used to having those kinds of open and honest conversations in our friendships. 
but it can be so helpful for allowing both people to feel as though they are seen for what their experience is and that that reassurance that I am acting in a way that supports my friend where they're at. Yeah, it's such a journey because part of the issue was that I had to become a little bit more resilient in my friendships. And here's what I mean is that anytime a kid had like a little cough or something, I was canceling plans because I wanted to be the one to stay home to take care of them. And Drew, my partner, he's always been really supportive and he's like, babe, I can handle this. So I think that the reason that female friendships really can suffer is because we feel like we're responsible for everything in the house, for our partner schedule, for if a kid has a sniffle, we're canceling. And so I'm sharing my experience to just kind of shed light on like, sometimes it is you that has to become a little bit more committed to giving some effort into the friendship. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that says something also about the way that we typically view our friendships, right? Obviously, our kids and our families need to come first a lot of the time, right? But very often in life, what happens is our friendships, we place them at the very end of our to-do list. And it's only once I've ticked everything off this very long, never-ending list will I allow myself the pleasure uh, or the luxury even of connecting with a friend. And if we approach our friendships from that perspective, it gets us into trouble because as we know, that long laundry list of things to do is never going away, right? And it never seems to get shorter. And so, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I see that part of the challenge relates to where our friendships fall on our list of priorities. And you're very right that investing in our friendships isn't just an investment in somebody else and in an external connection. It's also investing in our own mental health and well-being. And so part of that shift really does need to be, how am I allowing myself to put myself in my needs first and not seeing that as coming at the expense of everything else we have going on? And it goes both ways, right? So we can feel so hurt when we're not being invited to the event or to the friend's house. Um, I actually felt it the other way, where I stopped inviting people over to my own house because of the mess and the chaos and everything that was involved. So I, before kids, it was easy to keep a house clean, right? Or easier, I should say. And <laughs> friends would come over all the time. New Year's was at our house. We'd invite family over all the time. And then we started having kids and others didn't. And I was just so embarrassed about the mess and the chaos and and just how everything was just all over the place. So I stopped sending those invites out and friends did start to notice, right? Like they start to notice like, oh, like Abby's not inviting us over anymore. Um, and it was never anything against them. It was always just insecurity with us. So how do we help the perfectionists out there that don't want to invite people into their mess and their chaos? Because I know there are others out there that feel the exact same way. Absolutely. I mean, I'm tempted now to turn my computer screen around so you can see the very significant <laughs> mess that's all around me right now, right? No, I think this too is really important because one of my favorite sayings is perfect is the enemy of the good, right? And when we are consumed by perfectionism and particularly self-critical perfectionism, which is where we not only have those excessively high standards, but we're very critical of ourselves and maybe even the important people around us when uh, we are not living up to those expectations. And that can really get in the way of the good, of good, meaningful moments, of good connections. And uh, it's so much easier said than done. But what we see is that 
vulnerability in all of its forms, that is the pathway to closer, more meaningful connections. And that's true for so many reasons. We see that, for example, self-disclosure, which is really just the act of sharing what's real, right? What we're going through, what we're struggling with, maybe what we're hoping for, what we're working towards, things that we hold really um, close to us. Opening up about those experiences, that is the pathway to uh, better intimacy, platonic intimacy in our friendships, better trust, better closeness, more relationship satisfaction. But it's very, very difficult to do because one of the themes that I hear in my practice, certainly with clients is that fear that if people see me for who I am, they will judge me. Right. And I actually think we need to flip that on its head a little bit. If people see me for who I am, then they can accept me. Then they can choose to stay connected to me. And this is so closely linked with friendships. And what I mean by this is our friendships are one of the most important voluntary relationships, right? We choose who our friends are. We don't choose who our family members are, right? Uh, There aren't the same societal expectations when it comes to our friendships as there are for our romantic relationships. We can kind of, uh, our friends can come and go. And so there is this kind of ongoing choice to stay connected. And that voluntary piece is partly what makes our friendships so powerful and so wonderfully important for our well-being and self-worth. But we need to give people the chance to choose us to feel that sense of connection. And if we're not opening up about who we are and what we're really going through, then we don't necessarily experience that same level of authenticity and authentic buy-in. So I think at its core, it's really just accepting that that vulnerability piece is so core to healthy friendships. And it also is a bit of a courtesy. And what I mean by that is vulnerability invites vulnerability, right? If we are willing to be brave and be courageous and share a little bit about what's going on, very often our friends respond in kind because the shame that comes with that experience of vulnerability sometimes makes us feel alone. We feel like we are the only ones with a messy house. And so I appreciate you normalizing that for me, that I am not alone having literal Lego right at my feet as we're doing this podcast episode, right? And so if we can open up, we allow our friends to do the same. And it just creates this dynamic where both people feel so much more comfortable as long as we can withstand that initial discomfort. Mm, I love that because I kind of judge my friendships of like, if I don't have to clean before you come over, like I feel really comfortable with you. And sometimes in the beginning, I would just call it out. I'd be like, Abby, it's been such a crazy week. Like the the house is going to be chaotic, but I would love if you guys came over and and just naming it almost helped me to feel better with the situation because I think most of us have probably been through that like scramble clean before someone comes over, which creates like high stress for you. And there's got to be a point where you're like, okay, this house cannot be perfect. Yes. And I'm still worthy of having friends over and this is really okay. Yeah, it really, it's so interesting. It really does bring in those themes of like self-doubt and self-worth. And your point made me think of something. If we are inviting a friend over and we're spending the 10 minutes before they arrive, scrambling to clean up and feeling incredibly uh, self-critical about our space, right? What kind of headspace does that put us in? Then we answer the door, we invite our friends in, and it is hard to kind of settle into that space where we're able to connect in a really healthy and fulfilling way. And as moms and as parents, we have so little time, right? And so it can feel sometimes like there's pressure. Ooh, this is my time to connect with my friend. This is the moment I need to make the most of it. And 
it's a balance between not getting caught up in that pressure, right? But also recognizing, yeah, we do want to put ourselves in a space where we're able to take advantage of those moments and really benefit from that connection. And when that self-critical voice creeps in or when we're scrambling to make sure things are perfect, which of course they will never be, right? Then we aren't able to benefit from those conversations and exchanges as much as we would if we were able to just accept the mess in all of its Mm -hmm. (laughs) forms. Okay, let's transition into talking about something else that comes up. I think it can be really hard for friend groups when you are the first people that have a kid. And how do we now navigate that we have this friend group and you are the ones that have kids? Do you have ideas for how people can stay connected when they are the only ones with kids in the group? Yeah. Oh, this is a, this is a big question. And what's interesting is in a lot of ways, my guidance for if you are the only friend with kids is almost the same as if you are the only friend without. And I think it ties back to the importance of, as we were talking about before, communication. Um, and partly why that's so important is because we can get into this headspace where we expect the people closest to us to know what it is we need and to know what it is that's going to feel helpful and supportive and comforting and fun and possible even. And if we are the ones, the first friends in our group to have children, it's really hard to know how all encompassing and consuming that experience is unless you've been in it. And so what ends up happening is our friends for very good reasons don't necessarily know what's possible or what we really need, right? We, what we really want is them to come over and hold the baby for 20 minutes so we can take a shower. And then maybe again, we'll be back in that headspace to connect as opposed to, you know, bringing over gifts or whatever it is. So I think being transparent and clear is really helpful because it ensures that, or it increases the chances that there'll be that match between the type of support that's given and the type of support that we are really looking for. So that at the end of the day, I think is the most important thing. Um, But I also think it's important that we recognize that sometimes our existing friends or friend group isn't going to be able to meet all of our friendship needs. And that can be a transition period in friendships that brings with it a lot of grief and a lot of anxiety of recognizing, I love these people. These are my people. These have been my people for so long. And and I think I actually might need some new friends or some more friends, or I'm really looking for a fellow parent to have as a friend. And the anxiety that comes with that is there partly because making new friends as an adult can be incredibly challenging on its own, but also because we then worry, well, how are my friends going to feel if I'm, uh, pulling back in some ways to be able to invest in new relationships? And are they going to personalize that? And is that going to be seen as a slight? And so there, yeah, there can be a lot of anxiety that comes with that juncture in our friendships. But but I think taking that step of recognizing that we might need to bring somebody new into our lives or that there's a type of support that we're not able to get from these relationships, that can actually be very freeing because it can create much healthier dynamics in those existing friendships when we're not expecting somebody to provide something that they're just not able to provide. It's really interesting that you mentioned in your answer that your answer for if you are the only one in the group that doesn't have kids would be similar. I feel like it all goes back to the communication. And as adults, we really have to be able to communicate our feelings and trust our friends with our vulnerability. And the idea that like, 
one person doesn't have to be, or maybe never could be every single thing to you. One thing that came to my mind, because I have been through this, where I was the only one in my nursing group of friends that had small children, and I found it to be really helpful to think of the idea of, I think a lot of us run around and we're starting to think they won't understand, they don't understand, they don't get it. But if that's your chorus all the time for your friends, I think it does get really dangerous. I tried to tell myself, I'm like, but they're humans. So if I say I'm so overwhelmed and here's why, or it would be so helpful if you could run to target for me right now, because I cannot get this humidifier and I'm so stressed. I have the baby sick, the toddler sick, you know, and, and she did it like Carrie did, did that. And she showed up so huge for me. So I think we just have to be careful if our running idea in our head is like, they can't understand because in fact, I found that they were able to be the most supportive because they didn't have the kids that were also at home sick, you know? Yeah. And again, this is another area where that balance is so important that sometimes we do want those friends where we feel like there is that shared understanding of what's going on and how challenging things are. But you're so right that that, getting into that mindset of they don't understand, they can never understand that there's, there's a danger in that too. And I don't think that that's true. It's not the case that somebody needs to have the exact same experience as us in order to be able to show up for us. And I think this is so important to mention, no two experiences of motherhood are alike, right? And that is a bit of a danger as well. When you get into this headspace of feeling like, oh, well, I'm a parent and my friend is a parent. And so we must see things similarly, or we will obviously approach things similarly. We'll approach parenting in a similar way. We'll approach uh, giving consequences in a similar way, right? All of those types of decisions, there can be conflict that comes with that too. When we experience that disconnect between what we expect our friends to do because that's what we're doing and what we actually see playing out. And so I think, again, not just having tolerance, but acceptance of the fact that people who have different experiences can still show up for us um, and we can still show up for each other. That is so hugely important. And the best way to do that is exactly what you're saying through that type of transparency of saying, hey, here's what I really need right now. Is that possible? And those types of requests, I find they come full circle. So you, and this is for the people pleasers out there, because I know my mind has definitely gone to this of, I couldn't possibly ask her to do this. I couldn't ask her to do this big favor for me. Well, you know what? When she had a kiddo, were you more likely to be able to step in and be like, oh, I know what she's going to need right now. Like this could be very helpful. Like, absolutely. That's just the cool part about giving when you're able to give and then also accepting help when Mm -hmm. you're at capacity and can need Mm -hmm. help. Like that is how friendships work. And now a break from our podcast sponsor, BetterHelp. Throughout this conversation, we know so many people have shame and embarrassment around making adult friendships or keeping adult friendships. And we're here to tell you that you are not alone. There are so many people who have this as a challenge. And at the same time, this is a piece that you can easily get help with. And at BetterHelp Online Therapy, you can talk to a therapist, you can chat on the phone, you can meet over a video chat, or you can chat in the messaging center and get awesome resources on this subject or any other subject that is on your heart right now. We know how challenging this topic can be. We know how challenging the holidays can be. We know how challenging motherhood in general can be, as well as parenting and relationships. A BetterHelp therapist can help you with all of these, whatever is on your mind. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash herself, you do get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, 
H-E-L-P.com slash herself for 10% off your first month. Now back to our show. You also do a really good job of speaking about intentionality and being intentional with which friends you communicate with through different parts of motherhood. So I want to ask something specific for the people out there who are also working mothers because we're juggling a lot, right? It's it's a lot on our plates and there's a lot in our mind with the mental chatter and just the mental load. So could you explain how we can start to use this type of intentionality that you speak on so well with staying connected to our friends while also juggling work and being a working parent. Yeah. So, well, thank you for that. I, two pieces here come to mind. I think there's the intentionality uh, with which we approach moments of connection. And that touches a little bit on what we were talking about before, right? How do we show up in a way that allows us to really be in that present moment? And so we can talk about that. And the other piece, though, is how intentional am I being and how self-reflective am I allowing myself to be about who I let into my life and who I let stay? So we can talk about both of those pieces in terms of kind of the, the more moment to moment type of intentionality. I think it is important that we check in with ourselves and ask ourselves, am I really in a place where I can connect right now? Is this the time when I am going to be able to sit down and listen to what my friend has to say and what they've been waiting all day to catch up about? Am I going to be able to be vulnerable in all the ways that we've already discussed? Or am I feeling so touched out because I've had such a difficult day at work and I'm just feeling so overwhelmed? And I think we really all can benefit from doing a better job in that space. We don't have to be willing to be vulnerable at every moment. We don't need to accept every invitation to connect. We don't have to immediately uh, switch off or out of work mode into connection mode, nor can we. And I think we really place those expectations on ourselves of, okay, I did one thing. I'm on to the next. I got to again, make uh use of my time and be really efficient here. And I think we can really benefit from building in more rituals actually, and routines about shifting from one headspace to another. And so for me, what that looks like, and you might even see it in the background here, I have a candle lit. And like, that is just one very small ritual that I do every time I'm trying to shift from one headspace to another at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of a work day, when I'm starting client sessions, I will do that. And it just kind of sets the stage for a different type of sensory experience. And that might look really different for some people that might look like having some quiet, maybe you get into your car and you drive home and you don't play music that day because you just want things to feel a little bit more uh, muted. And that's the comforting space. So being intentional about how you're structuring your time, how you're getting into the right headspace to connect. And then when you're in that moment, uh, put the phone away, right? Silence your notifications. Um, there's this thing called fubbing that is really the uh, experience of ignoring the person that you're with because you're so consumed by technology and your phone. And that is so detrimental to our relationships and also just our ability to enjoy that moment of connection. So being present and being aware of when we're not in the headspace to connect is so important. And and, I mean, I know that was a bit of a ramble, but I think the other point here is, as I said before, this idea of being intentional with which friends you are reaching out to and when, because like we were talking about, not all of our friends can meet every friendship need. And so asking yourself, is this a moment when I'm really looking for somebody to just take me out of this headspace and take me out of this funk. And I just want to laugh. And who's the friend that I call for that versus am I really looking for some kind of sage parenting advice here? And who do I trust, uh, you know, to, to give me the, the latest rundown on, uh, 
on sleep training literature, right? And I want to be intentional about reaching out to them. Or am I looking for the friend who doesn't jump in with unsolicited advice and they're just there to listen? We need to take some of the responsibility as well for who we reach out to. And and as I said before, who we let stay in our lives because not all friendships will last. And um, that can be a particularly painful experience for a lot of people. What you said there at the end about that not every friendship will last, I think that's one of the hardest things that our community has trouble with is it's because, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, it just felt like, you know, you prioritize your friends, friendship is forever, like you, it was the ultimate showing of a friendship, it was the length. Mm-hmm. And what I've found as an adult is like, that's actually not what I consider to be like the most valuable thing is like the length of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that so many people just feel like that loyalty factor is what they're really prioritizing. We understand it. We appreciate it. But I think what happens is some people shut themselves off to the idea of new friendships coming into their life. And what a disservice that that could be because Abby and I, we, we've only been friends for like two years, you know, and here we are with this like deep, beautiful, supportive, awesome friendship. And like, what if either of us weren't open to that? You know, where would we be? And I find it too a lot with my partner he's gotten a lot better, but before it was like, he had his high school friends and his college friends, and those were going to be his friends. And I said, babe, don't you think you have to make some friends that live in this area? So I'm wondering if you could kind of coach people on giving themselves a little bit of permission to evolve into some more friendships. Yeah. Ooh, there's so much to say about this. I think you, you raised so many important points there. I definitely hear this theme echoed in the work that I do with clients, my online community, where we talk a lot about what makes for a healthy friendship and how we navigate the endings of those friendships that we certainly have been taught. And many of us hold on to this idea that the length of a friendship is a measure of its worth. And there is some truth to this in the sense of stability is an important marker of the healthiness of a friendship generally. And that if we think of those friends that we've known for a very long time, there's that very rich friendship history, right? Those shared memories and experiences that add so much to our lives, just in terms of our own memories and stories, but also what it feels like to get together with those friends and reminisce. So there is a lot of value there, but I think we get ourselves into trouble when we assume one, that the length of a friendship is the most important marker of the healthiness Mm -hmm. of a friendship. And when we get into that place of telling ourselves that we, and I'm making air quotes here, need to, or should, or have to hold on to those friends because of that shared history. Again, if we come back to this idea of our friendships being voluntary, we really want to feel like we are choosing to stay connected and not approaching our relationships from that space of having to stay connected or feeling that sense of obligation or duty. Um, Because that, again, creates pressure and actually takes away from the level of intimacy and closeness that we feel in our relationships. So those are just two things that are coming to mind right now. But I think the other piece of this is the reality that we can only entertain so many friendships at once, right? We don't have an endless capacity to uh, take on new friends and invest in those friendships in a mutually satisfying way. And because of that, 
we again need to be honest with ourselves about when it might be time to let a friendship go so that we can make room for a new friend or somebody new or another type of friend that we are really looking to make. And that isn't necessarily a uh, commentary on this friendship that we're letting go. The majority of friendships don't end because something went terribly wrong. And I think when we think about friendship breakups, we tend to see it through that lens of, well, who did something, who's to blame here, right? Mm. Who's to blame? Who did something wrong? What's the juicy story here? And yes, of course, that is one way that friendships end, but very often it's much more of this gradual growing apart uh, because we are often in a place where we are making room for new people and new connections and new responsibilities and new experiences. Mm, It's so interesting. I think one thing for me is that I've just noticed now when I have plans with my friends, I'm just so excited. And I just feel so like my energy going into it is so good. Mm-hmm. And that's one measure for me. Whereas before, sometimes I felt like, oh, shoot, I've got to go to this dinner. It's just like, is that is that friendship the right fit for your life is something that I don't think a lot of people take the time to kind of evaluate and it's something that maybe we should. Yeah. So as you know, we are talking to a community of women that a lot of times they feel at their max capacity. I mean, the motherhood, the partnership, the work, whatever it is, the holidays and what happens. And I've said this about my experience is I was letting my friendships fall through the crack. And it was actually a conscious decision. I said, I just can't, like, I do not have time. I'm just going to put this on the shelf because I don't have any more capacity. I don't have any more bandwidth. And long story short, it's like, I don't think that was the best decision for myself and like what I needed to feel like myself as a person. I know a lot of other people are making that choice right now or accidentally doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what coaching you have for us to kind of give us some inspiration to nurture our friendships a little bit better, even during busy seasons. Yeah. Oh, these are great questions. So I I think the first pieces again, normalizing this. There will be moments in our lives where just as I'm saying, our friendships usually fall at the very end of our to-do list. There will be seasons of life where they cannot possibly be at the very top. And we are not able to give the kind of energy um, and investment into our friendships that we either typically do or that we wish we could, or that our friends are expecting. And so recognizing that that happens and that that's okay. My best advice here is actually that we tend to experience things that's very all or nothing right? Either I'm giving a, and this again ties back with that self-critical perfectionism piece, right? We think either I'm giving a hundred percent of myself or I'm just not in a place where I can connect. And that really gets us into trouble in many ways because there's so much research demonstrating that the healthiness of our friendships and the extent to which we can experience uh, very meaningful moments of connection with our friends that's actually far less dependent on the big gestures and much more closely tied to the small everyday moments and check-ins even. There was some really interesting research that came out this summer showing that we tend to underestimate the impact of a check-in message. Sending our friends a text message, an email, giving them a call just to say, hey, here's something that reminded me of you today. I was thinking of you. Oh, I know you had that appointment this week. Just wanted to check in, see how that went. Uh, thinking of you here if you want to chat at some point. On paper, that sounds kind of insignificant, 
but it actually goes a long way towards having people feel appreciated, communicating again, our voluntary uh, buy-in to that friendship and keeping a certain flow and rhythm and momentum to the friendship. Uh, That rhythm might be slowed down at certain seasons, but it doesn't have to completely dissipate. And so sending the small check-in message, not saying, oh, that doesn't matter, that's not going to count, uh, that's really important. And I actually think the flip side of this is also a big part of it. When a friend sends us the check-in message, when a friend does something mm. very small for us, honoring that. And that means recognizing that internally. Oh, okay. I see what they did there. They were thinking of me and, and let me allow myself to feel how good that feels and actually expressing gratitude, letting our friends know, you know what? That really did mean a lot to me. I really did appreciate it. That was so cool to hear from you that can be really reinforcing. And we can, again, get into this like more positive cycle where there is that flow that just feels really mutually beneficial. One thing that I was doing back then, this is when my first was born, is I was just putting so many eggs into my partnership. Mm-hmm. And I've heard, uh, I've listened to a couple of things and I've heard how much our generation counts our partners as our best friend. It's like, that's how we, when we're writing like our anniversary love note on Instagram, he's my best friend. He's my everything. She's this. And it's like, wait, when did it become that we're calling our partner, like our best friend? Because I do think that that intimate relationship is different from Mm -hmm. a friendship. Of course we can feel you know, I, I understand the sentiment, but I think that what's happening a lot is we're putting everything on our partner. And my partner actually reflected to me. He's like, babe, I feel like you need some other people to, you know, share your experiences with, to talk about your work stuff with. Like, I can't be everything to you. And I also see people do this with their kids. Like they call their kids their best friends. And I'm like, mm-hmm. are we getting into a weird, like our immediate family is supposed to be everything to us and we're yes. not existing outside of it? So yes, I, you're speaking my language here. I, there's a few things that are coming to mind. So inevitably, I do a lot of polling on my Instagram community just to get a sense of, you know, what are people's friendship experiences and, and how can I help to normalize some of this? And one of the questions or some of the questions that I often asked are related to the experience of a best friend. Do you have a best friend? I have a lot of thoughts about whether you actually need a best friend or whether you can benefit from other types of connections. Inevitably, when I ask questions about, do you have a best friend? I will get messages of people saying, well, does my partner count? Yes, if you count my partner. And so I I definitely hear that being echoed right now, that there is this experience of people feeling like my partner or my family, that that these are the people who I consider my closest friends. And there's something to that. I mean, what I think that communicates is I don't just love my partner. I like them, right? I like spending time with them, which I think is a fabulous thing, right? I mean, I've, I've done a lot of couples work in the past and you, you want to hear that from couples, right? That's great that you have that, uh, type of a connection in addition to that more romantic component. But yeah, we we can't possibly expect one person to meet all of our needs for connection. And that's true when it comes to the different types of friends that we have in our lives. And that's true when we think of, is my partner serving as like a bit of a stand-in for my need for friendship? Because we know that the types of support that we get from our partners versus friends is different and it's unique. And it's not that one is more important than the other, but they are different and they're actually complementary. And this is, I think, what's so important to drive home, this idea that 
spending time with our friends actually can strengthen our romantic relationships and vice versa. And so again, coming back to that mindset shift that can be so helpful, it's not approaching this from a perspective of, well, if I'm spending time with my friends, I'm taking away time with my family, with my partner. It's no, ideally that helps me to feel supported. And yeah, like it, it, it just alleviates some of that pressure that we sometimes put on our partners or the people around us to give us something that they can't give us because of who they are and because of what that relationship is. But yeah, they're, they're very complementary and, and different. And I think that that's important that we respect those differences. And the word I kept on thinking of was so much pressure on them to have that one person be everything to you. It's so much pressure on them. And also I wonder if you're using them as a default. And what I mean by that is, are you just saying they're your best friend because you're not Mm -hmm. going out there and finding your own friendships? Are you saying like, Hey, this is, this is what I'm doing right now. This is okay. That's not fair to yourself. No. And I, I I appreciate you bringing that up because again, coming back to the experience of anxiety that can come with meeting new friends and frankly, just the misunderstandings that so many of us have, but how do I actually meet and make new friends as adults? We sometimes can have a bit of this like uh, protective mechanism that kicks in where it's okay. Well, I'm, that feels too scary. And so lucky for me, I don't actually need to do that because I have this amazing partner and, uh, yeah, we're not giving ourselves that opportunity to connect with new people and bring new friendship into our lives. So let's start talking about that because I know that there are so (laughs) many people listening that they want, what actions do I take? And we know you get this question all the time of how do I actually make friends? We are busy. We are moms. We, you know, we have a whole bunch of duties that are on our plates. How do we actually do this? So in this next section, I really want you to get actionable. I want you to get specific, like almost scripts that people can yes. start to use if they're that nervous to even start the conversation. Yeah. So let's just say we're at the park. I see another mom and it looks like she's in the same stage of life that I'm in. I want to initiate a conversation. She looks like she could be a really good friend. Yeah how do I even start this conversation? Like, let's start there. Yeah. So the first step is owning that you will need to embrace your inner initiator (laughs) that, and then take a deep breath, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is so scary. And this is probably going to feel awkward and uncomfortable on some level. And that's not because you're doing it wrong. That's because we don't have a lot of practice with approaching strangers in adulthood with the intention of making friends. So take a deep breath and really the actual words matter far less than the emotion that we convey and then the openness that we convey. And this is something that I think is really important to drive home because very often, and I fall into this trap too, of like, oh, what's the perfect thing to say here, right? Like what witty opening am I going to come up with? How am I going to get this across in a really effective way in 10 words or less, right? It's it's less about saying the perfect script and it's much more about conveying, hey, I see you. I'm noticing that we have some similarities. You look like you could be nice. Let's chat while we're watching our kids on the swing set, right? And so sometimes it really is a matter of just approaching somebody and saying, oh, hey, which one of these is yours? Oh, it looks like our kids are a similar age. And that's your in, right? It doesn't matter what it is, but that's your in. You've now set the stage for a little bit more of a connection or a conversation. And from there, there are a few strategies that can be really helpful. So asking a question, whether that's asking for a little bit of parenting advice or like, what is the, what have the last few weeks been like for you? 
I know that the flu season right now is really right. Just like you're talking about. I know that that's really overwhelming. Has your house been hit by this or, oh, wow, looks like our kids are just about to enter elementary school. Have you thought about what schools have you been to any um, open houses yet? Just drawing on the similarities uh, about experiences and stages that you're at, that too can be a really good opening. And from there, actually, what's most effective over time is to make the conversation not just about your kids, because that is a great starting point. But very often, the friendships that develop into something deeper and more meaningful, it's not only about other people, it really should be about ourselves. And so if we can then gradually move the conversation from talking about our kids to talking about us, or something that we just find interesting and something that we enjoy and are passionate about, that can be really helpful. And then my last tip is the ending of the conversation is actually, I think, the most critical period in that friendship making process, right? It doesn't matter so much how we start the conversation, but it sure matters how we end it. And I think this is actually where a lot of would-be friends uh, miss out because what we want to do is capitalize on that moments of connection and be really honest and transparent. Hey, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Is this a park that you come to very often? I'd love to catch up again next time. I'd love to pick this conversation up next time and kind of setting the stage for your next encounter. Because another trap that we fall into is this idea or belief that those conversations are going to make it or break it, right? I need to establish that friendship in that moment. Otherwise I've lost it. And what we actually see is that friendships take time and this ongoing investment to get off the ground. And if we can, yeah, set the stage for a later conversation, if we can create certain circumstances that will lead to our next catch up, then we again can get back into that place of like rhythm and flow. And so see if you can make your next plans together. And that doesn't necessarily mean I will see you here, you know, same bat time, same bat channel, right? But like, when, when might you be here? Or can we expect you here next weekend? Or, or letting them know I'll be here over the weekend if you want to catch up, giving them the opening. That end of the conversation is really crucial. That answer in a really good way reminded me of one of my newer friends, Amber. I was telling my husband after we hung out with them for the first time, it was that shift between just being friends because our kids were friends and actually getting to know each other. And when we were asking her about her career, it's like she was talking about it and telling stories and like she just brought herself into the picture. And I think as parents, sometimes we just stay in that parent mode and it's like, no, I want to get to know the person behind the parent. You know, I want to get to know you. And also we exchanged numbers really early on in our friendship. And like, that's kind of what you have to do yes. if you want to stay in touch sometimes. So get those digits. And now a quick break from our sponsor, Viore. Abby was just teasing me before I got on to read this ad because every time I read an ad for them, I always find something else that I want. And that's the style of Viore. They're always coming out with amazing items. And right now I have my eye on the cozy Sherpa jacket and the Restore Half Zip. 
These are the types of items where you're constantly grabbing them from your closet. I'm telling you guys, whenever my Viore is clean, I am wearing it because it is just the most comfortable athletic clothing that you are going to own. So if you want to use our 20% off code, you can go to vioreclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com backslash herself. That's vioreclothing.com backslash herself. I did want to mention that I've heard that the men's clothes are also amazing. So if you are looking for a gift for your significant other, it is a great place to shop. And now back to our show. Okay. Abby and I, this brings us a really good point though, because all of the time, the pushback that we get from our community is like, well, it's easy for you guys. You guys are outgoing. You guys are extroverts. It's easier for you to make friends. And so we understand that maybe there's some truth to that, but we do know that whatever type of personality you have, you can benefit from friendships. So how do we help the women that feel very nervous and scared to put themselves out there? Yeah. Ooh, this is really important to be talking about because yes, there are meaningful differences here between people who tend to be more extroverted or more introverted, but I'm glad that you brought this point up because what remains the same is the extent to which we benefit from connections and from our friendships. And we all need and benefit from close friendships, no matter how introverted or extroverted we are. And I also think there's a bit of a misconception here because we tend to equate introversion with social anxiety. And we know that there is overlap for sure. But people who are extroverted can also be socially anxious. Really what we're talking about are the circumstances under which we thrive and our kind of tolerance and threshold for certain types of social experiences. And so I think, again, the most important starting point is that self-reflection piece of like, if I'm looking to make new friends, if I'm wanting to uh, approach people, because that too, we know that if we just sit back and wait for people to approach us, very often that isn't going to be successful because everyone else is just as scared as we are. And so we do need to embrace our initiator, regardless of whether we're extroverted or introverted, but we can set ourselves up for success by thinking about what are the kinds of situations where I am most likely to be more comfortable. We don't need to make friends in exactly the same way. For some people, putting ourselves in a group situation that might feel more comfortable because we don't experience that same level of one-on-one intimacy. And it actually feels a little bit safer when there's uh, more voices to be heard. And we can kind of strike up a side conversation or speak to the group. Whereas for other people, being in that group setting feels terrifying. And we really just want to be sitting down on a park bench one-on-one and connecting with somebody in that way. And so being true to ourselves uh, is such an important starting point. And from there, I really think there's something um, to the experience of approaching this from like a skills-based perspective. And what I mean by that is you don't have to jump from zero to 100. We don't have to say, this is really hard for me. Oh, but it's too bad because what I need to do is go out there and approach somebody and ask them to be my friend. And that's the only way that I'm going to invite friendship into my life. We can start really small. And that might mean putting ourselves in situations that make us feel a little bit scary without the pressure of having to approach somebody. Maybe that's the starting point. And maybe the next step is working to, uh, you know, give a fellow parents at the park a knowing glance or nod or smile and initiating in that small but meaningful way. And if we can see it as like this stepwise progression towards 
embracing our initiator and speaking with somebody, then when we go to take that step of connecting with a parent on the playground or inviting another mom from school to have a coffee and chat about some initiative that's starting up at the school, it doesn't feel as scary because we've kind of worked our way up there. And so to see it as a stepwise process is really, really helpful. Um, But, you know, and I'm wearing my psychologist hat here as well. It's okay to feel like you need help in this area. It's okay to feel like this is scary enough that you feel like you could benefit from support. And I think I am certainly seeing that more and more in my practice as well, that people historically have been much more open to seeking help for um, parenting challenges, for their romantic relationships. And I'm really grateful that I'm able to offer friendship therapy for people who are struggling in this area because there aren't great systems of support that are available. And that shame and isolation that comes with feeling like this is hard for us is, is tremendous for a lot of people. Yeah. And Amy and I talk to women every week who that, that shame is the exact word. They're almost embarrassed that they have this as a challenge for them. They're like, why do I have this as a challenge? Like nobody else has this as as a challenge. You guys, we can tell you, we talk to people every single week that have friendship and adult friendships as a challenge in their life. So you're not the only one who's going through this. And let let me normalize this Mm -hmm. even further. I mean, this is my area of expertise, right? On paper, I I can uh, give evidence-based suggestions of what to say or do. And I think I actually tend to be fairly extroverted as well. I went to a kid's birthday party with my son this weekend, and I didn't know anybody there. And I had a moment of like, oh my gosh, how do we talk to people? What This is scary, right? Because it is, because it is. And uh, that's, again, not because there's anything wrong with us or you, but just because it is a challenge, there aren't great systems of support available and we don't talk about it with the same level of openness Mm. as we do other relationship challenges. Yeah. I was just going to add, I was at a park play date that was set up so that a bunch of moms in my neighborhood went. I was not, I was not batting hot that day. Like I tried (laughs) to initiate conversation with several people, but they already had like a group. And after that, I did not make it mean something about myself. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like if you go out there and you have that experience of like, okay, I can't crack into this group. There's another one at the the pool we have. Like there's this group of women. It's really hard to get into, but I don't make it mean something about myself. And I think that that's a really important point for, for our community to know. Absolutely. Those post-event attributions, we call them, are so significant because it is very easy to personalize it. Oh, what did I do wrong? What did I say or do wrong? Obviously this says something about who I am or my worth or potential as a friend. And if we can shift away from that blame mindset and that space of personalizing the experience, we are going to be far more likely to try again next time. Whereas again, that shame is a bit silencing. And if we uh, blame ourselves and personalize the experience and see it as a reflection of who we are, Uh, it's going to be much harder to be vulnerable next time and approach people. And so, yeah, you win some, you lose some. Some days, for whatever reason, people aren't as open or it's not the right group or it's not the right day for you. And that's okay. That happens. When I like throughout this episode, how you have mentioned just to start small, like just to be, just to take these little steps in order to get you there. It doesn't have to be this huge deal that you have this 10 point script that you're going up to a new friend. I mean, that's going to be awkward. Like I've tried that before guys, and and I'm the awkward person at the park who's trying to do this 10 point (laughs) script. So starting small, getting in, having that conversation, asking the question, not making it just about the kids 
great places to start. So one last question. I mean, we, we could talk to you about these types of things all day just because we know so much of our community has this as a challenge. But Amy and I, we talk about hobbies and how activities outside of motherhood are so important, right? And doing these activities without your children are good for you, but we know that you speak on it, that they're also good for friendship. So how can doing these hobbies help us cultivate more friends? Yeah. So, oh, this is something I, I get so excited about talking about because we always hear this advice, right? Like, oh, just go do an activity and you'll meet somebody. And I think that's another one of those friendship experiences that we tend to minimize and not really recognize how much value there is in that. And so pursuing an activity is so helpful for friendships for a few reasons. One, there is this idea that we have where we expect friendships to just happen. Somehow we will organically meet somebody. I don't know where these people are, but they will come into our lives and we will suddenly experience this beautiful close friendship that we've been looking for. And again, that is not how most friendships start. It really is through intentional action. And so Finding an activity that you are interested in is on paper one of the best ways to meet somebody. And why that is, is because as I said before, similarity is the root of friendship. So if you can choose something that you really care about, you are increasing the chances that you will meet somebody who also cares about this thing. And that might be the starting point of a friendship, just like connecting over, you know, the, the similar age of your kids is one starting point. Maybe it's over your shared love of improv or art or music. Maybe that's the hook. That's the thing that gets you noticing each other. And that's what the initial conversations are about. But if you can choose an activity um, where there's this ongoing involvement as well, you'll get in that frequency and you'll be able to connect more than just once. And this is this, again, is drawing on, this, on the idea of like the anxiety that can come with making friends. But very often what I hear is how much pressure we feel when we put ourselves into a situation where we are expecting ourselves to approach somebody. And I have to say something. I have to be the initiator here. I have to make a friend because I just can't take the loneliness anymore. And if we can pursue an activity, it gives us another reason to be there, to be in a public space, to be around others. And that actually takes off a bit of the pressure. You're not only joining this art class because you're looking to make friends. Ideally, this is something that you also really care about. And when it takes the pressure off, it actually makes it more likely that you will feel comfortable approaching other people. So that is one important strategy. And then coming back to this idea of like, the extent to which we over or underestimate things. There is a lot of research showing as well that we underestimate the value of moments of connection with strangers and acquaintances. I think very often we get into this mindset of I'm feeling lonely, so I need more friends, which yes, that would be my advice, but we can also, uh, feed or, or nourish our need for social connection through moments and conversations with people who are unfamiliar. And so even if you go to these activities and you don't come out with it, or don't come out with a close friend, you can still feel connected and you can still feel as though that was a meaningful experience and our mental health and our well-being benefits as well. So those are just some of the reasons why it's so helpful. <laughs> And it goes back to one of the first things you said when you mentioned that they can see you for who you are so that they can accept you. And when you're at that dance class or that improv class or that art class, like you are being who you are, you are in your element. And that's when other friends can see you glowing and with so much light and be able to accept you. So this has been such an amazing interview. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our community. Can you please let our listeners know where they can find more of you? 
course. Well, thank you. This was so fun. So I, I mentioned it a few times, I have a community on Instagram, which is at Miriam Kermeyer, where I talk all about the realities of navigating friendships as adults and do a lot of those fun polls. And yeah, so you're welcome to join that. I have a newsletter that I send out uh, full of uh, guidance. I have a lot of free resources on my website, actually, miriamkermeyer.com, free articles and interviews and podcast interviews and conversations like this. And uh, I'm actually releasing my first course in the coming weeks that I'm really excited about, all about how to actually make friends as an adult, because yeah, I, I, there again, aren't great systems of support available. And up until now, I've really only been able to share that information with clients in my therapy practice. So I'm very excited to be launching that. I'm so excited for you. And I hope that if you guys got one thing out of this episode, it's the fact that if this has been a struggle for you, you're absolutely not alone. Like this is very common during the adult years that it is tough to maintain friendships, to make new friends. But I hope that you got some really tangible tips out of this one. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it so much if you shared it into your Instagram stories, taking both of our accounts.